All right, I want to welcome on my next guest. We've got Kadri Ismail, Super Bowl champion with the Baltimore Ravens, Syracuse legend, and now pre and post game analyst for the Ravens on CBS Baltimore. Kadri, how's everything going for you? Good. Thanks so well, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want, I want to kind of get into the Ravens season a little bit. First off, do you think Lamar had cramps? <laughs> yeah. What, what, what is everybody? It's so funny because when I look at a guy who, you know, is playing a position and obviously him playing a position quarterback, his mindset is, is not sitting there like, Oh yeah, I got to take a massive dump. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw the ball jacked up. Then I'm going to give my team a poor chance to win because of said throws, man, I'm squeezing my butt cheeks together. I'm going to go over to Trace McSorley and tell him, look, look, Trace, I got to take a dump. You're the backup because RG3 hurt himself. Don't mess this thing up. I'm going to go ahead and read the newspaper while I take a dump. Then you're going to go ahead and be the hero. I'll let you have all the credit. But don't tell anybody I had to take a dump. I'm going to go get an IV. Yeah. Then you got to somehow convince the trainer to not tell <laughs> the head coach that you're going to go take a dump, but you're going to get an IV. So then the trainer has to go tell the other trainers to cover his base while you go take a dump. And hopefully you wash your hands of all fecal matter that apparently might get on you that could transmit over to him as he is trying to tape up your arm for the fake IV because you took said dump. So when you're taking a dump, make sure you wash thoroughly and you'll be okay. If not, it'll get on someone else and that will be bad. But instead, he legitimately had some issues called cramping because of the electrolyte imbalance, probably needed some more magnesium. Said magnesium was utilized and therefore he didn't have to take a dump, came in on fourth down, looked awesome, threw the pass out to Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown scores, the rest is history. We got Justin Tucker, you don't. Boom, 55 yards through the uprights. The Ravens are now at a position where they can talk about playoffs and potentially making a run after they take care of the Jaguars. It, it's crazy how everybody's been kind of getting on Lamar the past couple of years about, oh, he's great, but he can't come back. All of these experts, they could have hired anybody they wanted. And who knew his solution was bathroom bricks? Taking a dump cleanses the colon. The transverse colon sometimes get clogged and it causes you consternation and constipation, both of them at the same time. Luckily for Lamar, that wasn't the case. He was just able to go ahead and get a little IV and then have to worry about the fecal matter stuck in the transverse colon. <laughs> He probably had a good pregame dump and felt really good about that one. But the end game dump, he didn't want to put it on a Trace McSorley, who now has a bum knee because he took over for Lamar, who, according to Twitter, took a dump. But he really didn't take a dump because he was taking an IV. But then, therefore, it was a smooth dump because they won the game. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's wild. It's unbelievable. And then so with this season, they're kind of, they're still in it. But Pittsburgh's on a two-game slide. The Browns are – they lost, but that was as good as of the, you've seen of the Browns in a long time. Do you think Baltimore still has a chance to kind of get back into things? Well, I think as long as the bigger picture is you have a team that – you know, you talk about coming from behind. And, and what I look at is 
the passing attack for the entire season has been non-existent. Maybe one game here or there, a play here or there, they've been able to do some things. Um, but I think with the way in which they've uh, gone out there and they've played, you know, clearly it's it's a running game centric offense. And if you could run the football, then you're going to be very good at what you do. You're going to be living large. If you can't run the football, I think it's tough if, if another team gets up and scores on you. That's going to be the, the, the biggest issue if, in fact, they can run the table uh, and make it to the playoffs because you're going to have teams that are going to be far more effective in doing what they do. And what I say by that is, is that they're going to be better at, you know, just basically throwing it around. I mean, you get a, you get a big play down the football field because of a mistake here or there, then that really puts you in a, in a position where, um, you know, if you can't make a big play in a running game, then it puts you off schedule. And, and I think that's something that the Ravens are going to have to be challenged with. But I say all of that to say, they have Lamar Jackson. He's a unique talent. He's a phenomenal uh, quarterback. And I think that if anybody can do it, it is Lamar. So, so what's your prediction for their season outlook? How do you see it finishing up? I honestly think they can run the table. I mean, I, 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 in my heart of hearts, I think that they can run the table. I think that, you know, they're, they're good enough to where if you look at their um, – defense while there have been some struggles there I think that they're good enough to play against teams like the Giants like the Jaguars obviously there's no um, Joe Burrow for the Bengals so I, I think that you know there's strong opportunity to go out there and and and, and sweep you know and I think what eight nine ten eleven gets them to eleven to five and once you get into the playoffs anything can happen I think a lot of it is obviously Lamar but everything else is predicated on what we see from uh, the Ravens and their defense. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting. I think they're probably one of the things that nobody wants to see in the postseason that no one's really talking about anymore because it's sort of falling out of the top of the division. So I, I want to ask you a little bit about your career. So how did you end up at Syracuse? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, obviously, you know, you get five official visits to, uh, you know, take an official visit to a different college. And, and my official visits were uh, Syracuse, North Carolina State, Tennessee, uh, Maryland and Penn State and it was interesting because my head coach at the time uh, got rest his soul was Mickey Gorman and Mickey you know brings both my brother and I into the office and he's like look I need you guys to take a trip to, to Maryland even though you guys don't want to go there you know take a trip do it for me I know we were in Pennsylvania so everybody is really high on um, Joe Paterno and I, I really like you know Penn State too and I was like all right you know I'll take a trip over to Penn State and see what's what. You know, I wanted to see what the Southern schools were all about. Tennessee always interested me because of the track element of it all. And there was potential to run track and play football. Um, <laughs> real quick, uh, a, a quick aside, my recruiting host for that trip was John Gruden. John was what, I don't know, in his you know mid twenties or whatever. He was, I think a grad assistant or something working under uh, Johnny Majors. <laughs> so he was my recruiting host and taking me around uh, campus and all that jazz. So that was kind of interesting. And um, anything, anything just bad about that trip to you with being around John Gruden? Was he as eccentric then as he is now? He was kind of chill back then. I think, you know, the whole Chucky thing didn't come about. Uh, <laughs> I think he was up in Green Bay, probably cultivated it a little bit. 
And then the personality, I think, came out when, you know, you guys chance to become a head coach. And, you know, Chucky was born, oh, you know, looking with the eyebrow thingy and all that, you know. Um, great guy then, tremendous coach now. You know, love what he's been able to do. Uh, yeah. And, you know, have nothing but good things and fond memories about him as far as him and his coaching and, you know, what he did. Obviously, from a Ravens perspective, you know, we – faced uh, the Raiders in the uh, AFC championship game, whooped up on them. So, you know, say congratulations to making it that far. And, you know, hopefully they'll root for us as we keep winning. So we did. And obviously they must have rooted really hard. So maybe he has a little bit of uh, a diamond, small piece of the 200 diamonds that are in my Super Bowl ring I should dedicate to uh, John Gruden. Is that why he thinks Peterman's so good? Say that one more time. Is that, I was is, is that why thought of the Super Bowl diamond? But go ahead. Is is his is the, is the partial part of the Super Bowl ring that you think he might have in him? Do you think that's why, for some reason, he thinks Nathan Peterman's a good option at quarterback? He's a weirdo when it comes to quarterbacks. He, he <laughs> likes to date them, doesn't like to marry them. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So 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 after visiting with uh, Gruden at in Tennessee, what what sold you on Syracuse? Well, the bottom line was that um, we had a recruiting coordinator who now is the head coach at UConn in Randy Etzel. And Randy was just a master recruiter. I mean, guy just could flat out recruit. Um, it wasn't about him telling you what you wanted to hear. It was more along the lines of, you know, just had a sense of like, you know what, I, I care about you and I want the best for you. I think you could fit here at Syracuse. And, you know, by him telling like it is and, I think that that kind of, you know, struck a, a, a chord with me as far as like, yeah, I want to be a part of what's going on here at Syracuse. And uh, it helped, obviously, the year before they actually went undefeated. Um, was it Don McPherson finished second in the Heisman Trophy balloting? So they were on the rise and I wanted to be a part of a team that was on the rise. And in my time there, you know, we went to, you know, five straight bowl games, one off five of them. and. You know, very successful there. So it was a lot of fun. Um, obviously, basketball was an amazing time and had a ton, ton, ton of fun as far as uh, watching many a Syracuse basketball game. And uh, it was good. I, I enjoyed my my time at Syracuse for sure. Did you did you cross paths with uh, Jim Brown or Floyd Little while you're up there? Yeah, Jim. Um, like he spoke to us uh, at a symposium. Uh, an athlete symposium, which was really, really awesome. Yeah. Uh, Lloyd Little, um, he actually, uh, he, he actually was a part of the athletic department um, probably a, going back maybe eight or nine years ago. Uh, but yeah, we ran into each other and uh, just a tremendous human uh, and, and just love him. Um, and then obviously, um, you know, some of the greats that have played there, you know, uh, it was cool to, to uh, yeah, you know, just be in their presence when, you know, when they would come on campus. I have a question. This probably might be a dumb question. Did you cross paths with uh, McNabb while you were there? Did you guys intertwine? No, he was, what, two years after me. So okay. our paths crossed when um, he was at uh, up in Philly. Okay. And I was with the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, cool. How did you, how did you get your nickname? How did you, how did you become Missile? 
So that was interesting because when I was in high school, actually, my nickname was GQ. Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of uh, people would have a tough time pronouncing in Wilkesburg, Pennsylvania. They would have a tough time pronouncing Kadri. There's no you in my name. It's just simply Kadri. And people would say Quadri all the time. And I was like, all right, we ain't having it. Why don't you just call me GQ? So I thought it was kind of catchy. It caught on and all that. But my senior year, uh, my brother obviously was being recruited as well. And uh, his nickname, Rocket, was well established from, you know, our time as uh, a high school coach uh, in track, named him, you know, Rocket in the pocket uh, because he was so fast out of the starting blocks. And so all the kids really loved, you know, calling him Rocket. So my nickname, I guess, because of just being in the news all the time for, you know, the different successes that I had and all that, it just grew into Missile. Well, it solidified itself my freshman year when I think my mom was at my brother's Notre Dame game. I think it was Purdue. And the one sideline reporter, Andrea Joyce, my mom was sitting there being uh, interviewed by her. And she's like, okay, so uh, Mrs. Ismael, you know, what, what are your son's nicknames? I know, you know, your son, Ragib, he's out there playing now, but tell us your son's nicknames. She goes, well, you know, my son is the Rocket, and I have another son at Syracuse, and his nickname is the Missile. Uh, and my younger brother at the time, he was a, um, a junior in high school. And he's like, and I have another son who's at uh, uh, in Myers High School, and, and he's a junior, and his nickname is the Bomb, and I'm affectionately known as the Launching Pad. <laughs> so my mom solidified it that quote went viral as far as what viral meant back then yeah and the missile was born that's awesome so what, what was your draft process like what, how did that go about to be honest with you it was interesting because my junior year i came into my own as a player uh blew up my junior and senior year got on the national stage for the Heisman. Uh, I think I, whatever, finished in a top 10 in the Heisman voting. Woohoo! But uh, I think they would give you like a little lapel pin or something. I don't know. Yeah. You don't get the big thing. They don't, they don't give you, they only give you the big thing. If you win it, they don't give you anything else for being there. That'd be like a cue card. Like, all right, this is where you're sitting. I'm lying. You don't even go. <laughs> if you in the top three, potentially, That's they give you a chance to go. That's BS. You're in the top 10. They say, hey, kudos to you. You got some votes. Hallelujah. Sit your butt down. You're not going to come. So I didn't get a chance to go to New York. That's okay. Um, but that, you know, being in the conversation felt pretty good just because of the fact that uh, originally my, you know, draft um, status or, or my ability to play or whatever was kind of in question. Um, but it just proved that, you know, I was able to get on to the grand stage and, and be a playmaker. So with that said, yeah, went through the combines, did all that, ran fast and performed well and was drafted by uh, the Minnesota Vikings with the 52nd pick in the second round, uh, which was awesome. But the, the crazy thing about it, the Vikings, if you remember, 
before that draft, they lost all their draft picks because of the crazy trade for Herschel Walker. So that was the first time they actually had a first and second round pick. And so the first round pick was uh, my teammate, uh, Robert Smith from Ohio State, who uh, I think he does a lot of uh, analysis work on Fox, I believe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, my draft story. That's wild. What's your best Jim McMahon story? I interviewed him a while back. He's a man of a few words, but I feel like if you know him better, um, did you have any interesting experiences with him there? He's, he, I know he told me the story when he, before when he got drafted about how his first draft function, he showed up with like four beers because they had him in the car after he had gone to, and apparently the media wasn't too happy with it. But do you have any interesting McMahon stories? Uh, I mean, Jim could hold court better than anybody I knew, you know, and, and like his, his storytelling was that a legend. Um, you know, he would be in the back of the bus, you know, just telling us about, you know, his time with the bears. Um, he and his wife actually invited myself as a rookie, as well as uh, a fellow wide receiver who was also a rookie, Eric Gulliford, they invited us over to their house. Um, they just, you know, rented a, a modest, you know, whatever, condo no big deal um but they invited us over and uh i mean just as normal as normal could be you know his wife was very very cool really chill you know i'm sure she's been through an awful lot as far as his meteoric rise in in the uh mid 80s and you know he just was if you didn't know anybody you wouldn't even think he was a quarterback you're just jim <laughs> yeah but you know he was awesome um Love, love just how he, you know, he wanted to share his story and, and, and talk about, you know, football and all that. And uh, really, I don't know. I, I appreciate it, you know, just hanging out with, with Jim McMahon. Like, holy smokes, this guy, you know, was in movies and he was on the cover of different magazines. And, you know, everybody who was anybody wanted to, you know, be, you know, have a piece of Jim McMahon. So he was Chicago. Um, you know, there was the Bears in their defense, but he was just as charismatic as anybody on that team. Uh, so it was really cool. I mean, it was it was awesome listening to all the stories. What, what was it like being a rookie and kind of listening in on what Chris Carter was telling you? Well, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I think with Chris, um, Chris was a was was an extremely talented uh, receiver who I think you know, he had his trials and stuff as far as you know, he's very open about his substance yeah. abuse okay. and what he felt he had to overcome. Um, extreme competitive individual that can sometimes uh, turn negative in a sense, if you're, you know, not able to handle it. And I think for me as a rookie, there were times uh, in my four years there where it was, it was, it was tough to stomach. Um, but you know, that's part of growing up and learning and, and growing what you like and what you don't like as a, you know, person, as a teammate. But uh, he was just phenomenal as far as his talents on the football field, no question about it. And so fast forward to your time with Baltimore, how did that come into, how did that come about? And then what, how did you kind of, what, what made you more excel there? So the year after I left Minnesota, I was, uh, picked up free agent wise by the Green Bay Packers brought in by Mike Holmgren. Mike was a little weirdo with the meeting that I had with him. He brings me into his office and he was like, 
yeah, you know, I, I just need another receiver because I'm mad at, you know, and, uh, Antonio and uh, Derek Mason. You know, I, I just need another. And I was like, all right, uh, I hope you want me to come in here and, and play, be a part of your offense. Um, but I think he was kind of full of himself. He had, you know, did his thing as the, you know, Green Bay Packers, Super Bowl winning coach. Um, obviously he had, you know, just mega talented quarterback and, and Brett Favre, you know, um, whatever, but it was frustrating for me because I was like, well, you know, that's great. You got this mega talented, you know, uh, quarterback. It's great that you bring me in, but I, I'm trying to look for a team. I'm trying to, you know, play. And so I went through training camp with them. Um, they wind up, uh, trading me down to Miami and go down to Miami to, um, hook up with, uh, Jimmy Johnson. And the biggest thing that I recognized with Jimmy, because like he transformed the, um, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, he was unreal. Like when I say unreal, like he oozed with nothing but positive vibes. Um, it was just nothing ever negative. It was always positive. And, but he was a fierce, you know, stickler for detail and, you know, nobody, everybody was intimidated by him, but I thought it was refreshing because he just was always so positive. Um, I did not play a single down. Um, I was on special teams there for a little bit, but then I started being uh, not put up on the active roster, um, learned an awful lot about myself, went to the New Orleans Saints. That was God awful because it was with Mike Dicka's uh, team. And I think he had the absolute worst coaching staff ever assembled. Really? Yeah, it was God awful. It was, it was worse than awful. It was just, it was like, you know, we, I felt like we we're the Keystone cops. You know, I was like, what, what, what the hell is going on here? Because, you know, I, I come from um, Denny Green. Denny Green is from, you know, the, the real cool uh, tree of Bill Walsh. And, you know, everybody, the way you, you did everything was highly professional. Don't waste the, the guy's time you know, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, it just, it was awful. You know, um, Jimmy Johnson, his, his, you know, style was be prepared. Let's, let's understand our game planning. Um, when it's Friday practice, we're done. You know, the, the hay is in the barn, if you will. Um, we're ready to, to move on and, and, and win this game. Saturday walkthrough is a, just a, a, you know, go through the, 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 the details of special teams, make sure everybody knows where they're at, make sure the different groups are doing what they need to do. And let's go out there and win. Um, we were, we were talking about coverages. We we're talking about blocking schemes. No one that I know of talks about blocking schemes on a Saturday practice. Like that's supposed to be locked up by no later than Wednesday, maybe Thursday. Wow. So we were like, you know, what blitz schemes they were going over. I'm like, man, what is this? This this doesn't seem like anybody is on the same page. And I think that was why they lost games. Uh, we lost games. I was on that team, so I got to take ownership of it too. But we lost games. And when I got to here to Baltimore, it was like, all right, cool. I'm here in Baltimore. And for me, it was like, 
I'm home. I, I knew Brian Billick's offense. I knew what I needed to do to be successful. I'm going out there and I'm going to do what I need to do and ball out. And I did. And uh, two years later, I was Super Bowl champion. That's awesome. And then, so I was talking a couple of months back, I was talking with Rod Woodson and I asked him, I said, if I would have asked you before the season and would have said, do you think you have a chance at Super Bowl at this winning a title? He said, no chance. Did you feel the same way before that season? I was just not happy to be on a team. Don't get me wrong. I was just happy that, you know, I had a successful rebirth to my career yeah. and this was year two of the, the success. Like <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be on an historic, yeah. uh, you know, defensive team. Like who knew, like that team was as dominant as, as I have ever witnessed. Um, that just was, was unbelievable. Like, uh, Whoo, my God, man. I mean, they were just phenomenal, like unbelievable, like how they just, you know, you're talking about guys in their prime, guys in their prime at running back being shut down. Fred Taylor, uh, Jerome Bettis, Eddie George, Corey Dillon. These are the running backs that our defense had to face eight times and just not even collectively um, over a thousand yards for the season. I mean, <laughs> arguably the best defense ever period yeah. in the discussion. Don't even talk to me about the 87 bears. <laughs> not going to listen to it. So anyway, we won and it was awesome. And I loved it right the entire time. Who's the toughest corner you ever faced in your whole career? Uh, Deion Sanders and guy by name of Dale Carter, Dale Carter, arguably was just as talented, maybe a little bit more talented than Dion, but wasn't as mentally locked in as Dion was. Dion was every bit talented, but every bit, the most cerebral corner. You just couldn't, you know, um, you just couldn't go out there and just, you know, bring your, you know, D game or B game or, Oh, you know, I'll get lucky. There was no luck with Dion. You either you, you brought it or you didn't, if you ain't bring it, you know, he's going to embarrass you. And even if you did bring it, you better hope and pray that, you know, your quarterback is on his game that day because he's going to make you pay. Can you tell me about um your missile training? Like what you, some of the stuff you're doing over there and how, how that kind of came into fruition? Yeah. Yeah. So missile training, obviously my nickname, the missile, what I felt, in my career, uh, especially in my resurgence, was that if you can prepare yourself, you know, to totally lock in and prepare yourself to win, you know, then you're going to have a chance to be successful. If you took two people who had equal talent, the one who could recover the fastest, that's the one that's going to win. If, in fact, I have somebody helping me as a sports performance coach, my mindset is this, under pressure, the, the protocols that you're putting me through, under pressure, does it stand up? Like, like, are you going to help me be the absolute best that I can be? And if you can't answer that as a yes, then what are we doing? And so the guys that made an indelible mark on my mind uh, helped me form muscle training and in, 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 in giving back, if you will, from a business aspect. And now I've grown to the point where it's about what I call GOTA, greatest of all time actions by the greatest of all time athletes. 
And so being a, a go-to coach um, literally has totally changed my mind when it comes to non-contact injuries, it's totally changed my mind as far as how to run correctly and be explosive in your movement patterns. Um, go to coaches, we firmly believe that you're not gonna get a non-contact injury uh, because of poor running and moving mechanics. A lot of other coaches can't make that claim. I've seen through slow motion video analysis where guys have ruptured their Achilles, guys have had ACL tears because of just the way they move incorrectly. And then you go back to the way they train. They're actually training in reverse gear movement. The lifting style that they're doing is actually hurting them and not helping them. And so with missile training under the power of GOTA movements, that system gives me the opportunity to give you the athlete, you the human as a person. If you like to run miles and you're feeling achy in your back or you're having trouble with your knees, I have clients that do that. They come to me and they don't have that issue any longer. I have a high level collegiate swimmer um, who's in this front chain of his body where he's just all front chain and I'm helping him understand how to move correctly through his back chain to get his, his strokes even faster and better. I have young kids that I've reprogrammed to help them move and, and, and run better, which is gonna help them last throughout their lifetime, whether they're an athlete or not later in their life. Um, I can go on and on and on. It's, it's my passion, it's what I love to do. Obviously I love talking in the media as well and, and talking and breaking down the game that has been so much fun for me and, and my family. But when it comes down to it, yeah, you know, from a, being a go-to coach yeah. uh, with my missile training has been uh, really uh, a fun thing and, and a very cool and unique experience. So I got kind of a dumb question, but I'm very curious. Has anybody ever come, like walked into there thinking it was actual missile training, like like a tank, somebody in a tank or like armed forces walked in to be like, oh, I'm at the wrong place. <laughs> no. All right. Yeah. No. All right. All right no. And then, and then let's go one last question for you. So how did you get into broadcasting? I mean, I've been, uh, it was, it was more along the lines of, I guess, Big Fish, Little Pond. What does that mean? Well, when I was in Wilkesbury, uh, Pennsylvania, my uh, brother and I, I mean, I think there was like a time where we were mentioned in either in the print media or the, the you know, local TV, like pretty much, I don't know, I'd say like two, three months in a row, four months in a row, it was just like constant, always, 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 always. Um, then by the time I got to Syracuse, a guy by the name of Dan uh, Horde, who is the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals uh, radio broadcast, he and I did a show called Cadre on the Quad up at Syracuse. Cool. That's and a good name. Yeah, it was unique. It was cool. It was fun. But that's how it all started. I mean, we, we kind of did that. And I've always just had an affinity for talking in the media and breaking down the game and breaking down the, the, the fun parts of it all and interacting with the fans. So that's how I started. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I can link all of the stuff for missile training to when I post it, but how can people find you on social media, keep up with you and just see what you're doing and kind of get more insight onto the Ravens when they're already getting. Well, so I would say, Hey, go over to Twitter, DM me the whole nine yards. Twitter got weird on a brother because <laughs> I was Kadri Ismail. I still have Kadri Ismail. 
I don't know what happened. The mugs like either shadow banned me or something because I can't get logged back in. Been wrestling back and forth with them. Who knows? I might have to start up a new account. But how long? How long's that been go? Because you could literally go on the broadcast. Like, hey, I don't forget the guy's name. Hey, like, you say somebody somebody asked you, like, do you see that on Twitter? Like, no, I can't get in. Just look at the camera. I can't yeah. log in. Maybe they'll get I, back to you. I'm 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 looking at that as an option for real because. <laughs> It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know what happened. So you're right. I might have to do that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's funny, too, because I'm like, man, I, I, there's so many controversial things I could say that I've never yeah. said. But somehow, some way, <laughs> talking about the Ravens, yeah. somehow that's going to get you banned. But yeah. who knows? It's something stupid. No. Anyway, with that said, Kadria Smile 87 on Instagram. Um, Literally, you can get at me on there, DM me as far as missile training, do virtual training as well. So it doesn't really matter where you're at. I do assessments the whole nine yards. You'd love it. Um, it would absolutely enhance your game. That's a great way to look at it. Then, of course, on Facebook, Kadri Smile, you could DM me on there and uh, we can have dialogue conversations on there as well. Uh, but I'm told with all my young athletes that I'll be training, yeah, uh, Coach Q, uh, yeah, nobody goes on Facebook. <laughs> But then at the same time, I'm like, yeah, your parents do. And your parents are the one who is paying for y'all stuff. So quiet. I need the business element to coincide with working you out. So if your parents want to get in touch with me and they want to use Facebook, let them. It is okay. Yeah. 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 All all parents are, every parent is on Facebook. As soon as my mom joined it, I blocked her. So that was years ago. (laughs) 